Alrighty. Well, now I, I've got to ask you a question. It's a very, very, very important question. You know, last week I talked about, don't show the picture yet. Last week I, I talked about mayonnaise. And I said that, I made the comment that in order to take the, the purity of God, which is like water, and mix it with the sinfulness of man, like oil, if you were to mix those two together without an emulsifier, it just wouldn't work. It's water and oil. It does, doesn't come together. It kind of comes together a little bit and then usually fizzles out. It needs another ingredient. It needs something else, a bridge, to help them come together, back together in harmony again. And of course, you know, with water and oil and making mayonnaise, it's eggs. So you put some eggs in there, you do what you need to do, you shake that up and you get mayonnaise. It's great. It's wonderful. It preached about harmony with man and, and, and God. Well, now today, I would like to know this very, very deep theological question. Who here likes Hellman's? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Put the picture up. Who here likes Hellman's? Uh, really high. Okay, good. All you saints. Wonderful. And then how many of you are Dukes people? Hands in the air. Any Dukes? Southern. Are you, are you from the South at all? Do you hail from there? No? Okay, already. Usually that's a Southern thing. There's only two Dukes people. How many people are straight up heathens and do not like mayonnaise at all? Raise your hand. Here, we will pray for you. Of course, Bill Gross does not like mayonnaise. <laughs> all righty. And then uh, now even worse, how many of you are Miracle Whip people? Any Miracle Whip? There is way far too many hands in the air for Miracle Whip. Y'all, that is not mayonnaise. I don't know what it is. Stop putting it on your bread. Anyways, no. I love Hellman's mayonnaise. Hellman's mayonnaise. Why do I love Hellman's mayonnaise? It's historical. Look at that since 1913. It has been tried and true. It says the word real on it. What more could you ask for? Real mayonnaise. Duke says real, but it's real, real tiny. And it has, it's made with whole eggs, with the yolk. Praise be to God. I know Hellman's to be true. I know Hellman's is going to taste great. I love Hellman's. I've tried Duke's. I can get by with Duke's, but it is not Hellman's. And take a look. Duke's has only been great since 1917. They are copycats, aren't they, of the original. There's something about knowing and having that historical relationship, the authentic mayonnaise that makes me go to Hellman's every time. So why am I talking about mayo when we're here in church? We're here for Jesus. We're going to continue in the study of Acts. If you are here for the first time, we are going through a sermon series uh, through the book of Acts. And we're going to take our time. And we're coming now up to Acts 2, to um, Peter's first sermon. And we've already gotten a little taste of that last week in the introduction, uh, where, I really kinda, where he really kind of talked about and stressed the unity of God's people coming together with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He talked about men, women, ma uh, male servants, female servants, young, old. Everyone's going to be prophesying in that time when the Holy Spirit is poured out. That it's kind of blown the doors open and there is strength and there is power in that unity of people in that kind of mayonnaise, bringing everyone together. And that was kind of the intro. Now today, we're going to look at the body of his sermon, the meat of his sermon, where he really, really focuses in on pure and simple a presentation of the gospel for the people who are listening. 
No frills, no spills. He is going to present who Jesus is, the real deal, the real mayonnaise, and who he is not. So that there is no question at the end of this sermon that we will walk out of there that they know who the true Christ is. Today we get into that, and therefore Peter is going to tell us, as the title of the sermon says, who Jesus is and who he is not, especially that there was this undercurrent thought that Jesus was just some kind of prophet, that he was special, that he, obviously he was special with the Lord, had some sort of insight with God, but that was about as far as it could go. Well, well Peter's going to really take, take that and dismantle it for this primarily Jewish audience. And you know what the real fun thing is that I noticed with this passage? Here now for the first time, Peter, who had a bum rap in the Gospels, who very much said to Jesus, when Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And he said, you are the Christ. Now here with the Holy Spirit moving through him, we get to see him preach on that. We get him, he gets a chance to, to really lay that out more so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to walk away with today, our point to remember, is that this Jesus is the attested and proven by God Messiah. Say that. Jesus is the attested and proven by God Messiah. Y'all ready? Let's get into it. I'm excited. So if you open up your, uh, your Bibles to Acts 2, 23 through 24, there are pew Bibles in the back of the, uh, the pews if you want to open them up. If you have your Acts journal, you can open them up to the first couple of pages where we're at. Acts 2, 23 through 24, let's open it up and let's get into the meat of Peter's sermon of him pointing to Jesus and saying, this is the attested and proven by God Messiah. What does Peter say in this part of his sermon? Again, we've just got through the introduction about how the whole church be unified by the Holy Spirit. Now he says this, and he turns onto the crowd. And he says, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's important that he says Jesus of Nazareth. Because if you remember from the Gospels, there were people who had an attitude that nothing good could come from Nazareth. And so here, Peter really makes it, let's say who Jesus really is. Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up and according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So let's talk about this first little chunk here. And right out of the gate, he says what is part of our, our main point. This Jesus has been attested to you and proven by God. And what does that mean? That word, that word attested is only mentioned four times in the New Testament. It's a Greek word that's only mentioned four times in the New Testament. And what it means, it means to prove, to bear witness of, to point to, and say this is the real deal. And so what Peter says is that this Jesus of Nazareth has been attested to you by God. 
not by anything that Jesus did, but by what God was doing through Christ. And so it ends up making this reciprocal thing that now Jesus is here and God's doing stuff through Jesus so that he's proven to you as the Messiah, but at the same time, by you witnessing it, you're getting to see who God is. Isn't that everything that Jesus taught? If you see me, you see the Father. If you see the Father, you see me. So how does, how does God prove that this sent one is not some mere prophet, but the actual true Messiah? Well, Peter says, through the proven many signs and wonders God did through him. I chuckled at that. Because Peter doesn't take the time in his sermon. He's preaching probably a 10, 15-minute sermon. I mean, you know, he was new at it. He just needed some time. He'd grow to a long, longer exposition. But he didn't, he didn't take the time to enumerate all those signs and all those wonders. He just said there were many of them. And it's really just a kick in the pants to the, to the audience that is there. I don't have time to enumerate them. There were so many examples of God working through him, signs and wonders, that you should not, should not have any question of who this Jesus is. The water to wine, remember that? That was great. That's a miracle and sign. All the healings, all the, the people who are coming to repentance, miracles and signs. All uh, the time that God said from the heavens, this is my son whom you should listen to, miracle and signs. He doesn't mention all of them. He just said there are many of them that God worked through Christ to say, this is the Messiah. The last three years, these people should have seen all the crazy, wild, joyous, miraculous stuff, or at least this audience should have heard about it and all that God did through Christ and know the true God. So he opens with that. That, that the Lord, in order for him to, to attest and prove that this Messiah is the real deal, he works signs and wonders. And then if that doesn't work, then he attested and he proven that Jesus is the Messiah through the actual crucifixion. So Peter brings in now the crucifixion. And if you've been with us for the last four or five weeks, some of this is major review to you. Because we had to, a two-part sermon um, series really there about the importance of the cross. Well, here Peter brings it up and he says, okay, if you didn't know about the many signs and wonders that God was doing through Christ, let's look at the crucifixion that just happened two and a half months ago. And look at the crucifixion. Now look at how Peter describes it. He says that, well, he points it out to them that they crucified the Lord but then he, he adds a, um, oh, he adds like a condition to it. He says that this Jesus, Jesus delivered up according to the, verse 23, definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, so he convicts the crowd and says, this Jesus whom you crucified. And some of this crowd, this is the crowd that's been pilgrimaging in for Passover and Pentecost. They weren't around. They weren't in the, possibly in the crowds uh, with the Pharisees that finally had the trial and, and put Jesus on the cross. And so what Peter's kind of just saying as a blanket to everybody, your sins, the sinfulness, the nature of everyone in this room is, is the reason why Jesus got crucified. But, comma, comma, but, but it wasn't because of anything you did. 
that the cross happens. The cross and crucifixion, Jesus being delivered up to be killed, was done by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That means that this was always in the cards. Judas betraying Jesus was always in the cards. God coming as a, a man flesh, Jesus the Son of God, coming to this world to die for our sins was always in the cards. You can go back to the book of Genesis and see that this is how God is going to work and how he works in bringing about redemption for his creation. Because it's a head-scratcher. Why would God send his son just to die? Better question. Why would God subject himself to humble himself to be Jesus, the flesh, man, son of God? Uh, I, I got mixed up. The, um, why would God come in the flesh as Jesus just to take on the cross? Why would, it, why would he do that? And if you look at Genesis, you would see that just before he kicks them out, he kills an animal and gives them the skins of that animal to provide warmth and, and protection from the elements. It's a provision for them. Right from the very beginning of Scripture, God is saying to humanity, now that sin has been brought in, and now death is now a part of the equation, I'm going to use death in order to bring about life. I am willing to kill a part of my creation this animal, in order to bring about life and restoration for you. And of course, we know that as this plays out, then with the sacrifice of the sheep and the, the atonement sacrifices, that eventually this is going to be him as Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, is going to be killed so that we could have life. This is another attestation, another proven thing that God does to say this is the Messiah, that I'm going to offer him up to die, to take away the sins, to cleanse the world of the sins, and to glorify both him and I so that you all know that this is the Messiah. So Peter's already opened up just, the, we're, we're, we're five minutes into his sermon, and he said that this is the Messiah whom God has proven to you through the many signs and wonders that he did while Jesus was here doing ministry. This is the Messiah whom God has sent to you and has proven to you by his crucifixion that God would be that willing to make sure all of us could be saved, that he would willingly take on the cross and that the cross was always in the cards as part of this redemption process. And then if that doesn't work, he then brings in the resurrection and the defeat of death. That this Jesus whom God raised up, that the pangs of death loosened from the pangs of death, that death could not hold this Messiah and that God by his, his power raises him up. Remember, we are two and a half months away from that point in time. This is all very, very fresh to them. And so in his sermon to, to them, he's like, you should have no doubt who this Jesus is. Because one, everything that God has done to prove it. Two, your sins put him on that cross. Three, we've witnessed the resurrection and that death no longer has a hold of him and he has ascended to the Lord. 
And now we're feeling the effects of the Holy Spirit being poured out among us. And each one of you in this room is hearing the good news of the Lord because of that action. Therefore, you should have no doubt. This is Jesus. This is whom God has sent as the Messiah for the salvation of the world. Amen. Y'all tracking? And so I love that sermon. It's just, that's simple. That's it. There's no illustrations. There was no funny quip about mayonnaise. This was just a, this is Jesus. This is God's son whom he is actively working in to prove and attest to you all that this is the true Messiah. And so you would think, great, take up an offering. But Peter goes a little bit more. He goes, he goes one step further. Because it's not just about who Jesus is. He wants to make sure that this audience, this primarily Jewish audience, realize who Jesus isn't. Because it was a common thought that Jesus, especially amongst Jews, that Jesus was probably a prophet. And what Jewish history, what they know to be true, their mayonnaise, their helmets, what they know to be true is that prophets were great. They said challenging things. They were obviously together with the Lord in some way. And then eventually they died. And that's exactly what they think has happened with this Christ. And so Peter decides, well, let me speak into that a little bit. And as he goes on, we're going to look now at Acts 25, and he brings in one of their major prophets. He says this, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and will make me full of gladness in your presence. As he opens this up and brings in the prophet David, he cites one of David's psalms that David is writing about God. And out of the gate, what does David say about the Lord? I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand and I will not be shaken. My flesh will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul or let your holy one, not David, but your holy one see corruption. David comes out of the gate and says that he is talking about this promised Messiah that is to come. Why would David know that a promised Messiah is on the way. Anyone know David theology? Raise your hand if you know. Anybody? Go ahead. Don't be shy. Way back when, when David was anointed to be king, and he goes through his, his, his growth as a king and creates a kingdom, and he's getting ready to, to pass on, God sends to him Nathan. And Nathan goes and delivers David a message. And it comes out of 2 Samuel. You don't need to jump there. I can just read it to you. It comes out of 2 Samuel. And this changes the game forever for the Davidic line and for what's about to happen. Nathan says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. So here's the first clue that David is not 
the Messiah that David will lay down with his fathers. There will come a time when David will pass away. And when that time happens, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, get this, forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of those sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all those words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. How does David... But how is David able to speak eloquently about a time where a holy one is going to come from the Lord? It's because he was given a prophecy himself that from his line, a shoot will rise up and that is where the Messiah will come. He has been given a vision of the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that will last forever, and he knows it's not him. So Peter brings this up because this is ancient Jewish history that they're all staking their, their money on. And he is saying, guess what? That shoot has come. It has been here. It is not David. It is this Jesus. We can go and see David's tomb right now and see him lying in it. We can't go to Jesus' tomb because he's risen and he's gone. He's gone on to heaven to glory to establish his kingdom there in heaven and here on earth through us. This is the Messiah who has been attested and proven by God. And now our takeaway for this, for us in here in this room, this is a master class in evangelism. Because instead of just, ad, just convicting the audience of how sinful they were because of, and because of their sins, Jesus was crucified and woe to you, he doesn't do that. He mentions it. He says, yeah, know that you need a Savior because of your sins. Your sins cause that crucifixion. But then he takes their story and weaves in the gospel so that the gospel can make sense of their life now and that he, they can look to the future for who Christ is versus having their life try to explain the gospel. And so for us, as we leave this place to take the gospel wherever we go, that's one of the actions that I would implore us to do, to listen to the stories of the people and weave in the gospel so that they can make the connections where Jesus has been at their right hand all along. And through the Holy Spirit stirring in their hearts, they will bow and proclaim him as their Lord and Savior. That is all the Lord is asking us to do, to bear witness to the attested and proven Messiah by God. Will you do that? It's just listening and telling stories. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for everything that you do for us and to give us the empowerment through the Holy Spirit to share your word. May we do that with great confidence and boldness so that people will know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.